once you draw them in, then you teach them about how you solve that problem. And you've got the audience. They're hooked. They're going to they're gonna give you probably 30 minutes of their undivided attention. I'm David Ote, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Science is about uncovering mysteries, and today's guest gets that. He's a scientist and a journal editor who says that sometimes that mystery comes through, even in scientific writing. Join me as I have a conversation with Bill Williams, a pharmaceutical scientist with a background in both industry and academia. You'll be surprised at what a former student says is the most important thing he learned. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ote, and on this program we have a mix of content and conversations about how to tell the story of your work and how to be a more confident technical presenter, whether you're a scientist, engineer, or someone else giving technical presentations. And today we have a scientist on our show. I'm very pleased to have as my guest uh, Dr. Bill Williams of the Pharmacy School at the University of Texas. Hi, David. It's a real pleasure to have you here. I do like that picture that I see in the background there because that's a familiar campus to me. Full disclosure, I did my master's degrees at the University of Texas, so I do have some affinity for that place. Um, so, Bill, why don't you tell my audience just a little bit briefly about uh, the, the personal or professional journey that brought you to where you're doing what you're doing now. I'm sure it's got some interesting turns to it. Thanks, thanks, David. So, I uh, really appreciate you allowing me to tell my story. Yeah, so I'm an Aggie, graduated from Texas A&M, and I came to the College of Pharmacy, uh, and then I, ha- I have an f- uh, undergraduate degree in pharmacy, and then a PhD also in a uh, pharmaceutical uh, area called pharmaceutics, um, and uh, and I. Uh, have worked in industry, and uh, I have come back to the University of Texas at Austin as a professor, which is what I'm doing now. And uh, your your lab is involved in, in doing some very important work right now, as you were explaining to me. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so my lab, I have uh, wonderful uh, graduate students and postdoctoral fellows from all over the world. Uh, very uh, exciting to environment to work in, and we were doing work. One of one of my postdocs was doing work on a drug called meclosamide, and uh, for prostate cancer, and it came out at the beginning of the COVID nineteen epidemic in early twenty twenty that this particular drug had activity against the SARS CoV two virus. So my entire lab pivoted on that that set of data that came out of South Korea. And we began our journey, and we, which we continue today, on applying our know-how and our technologies on drug delivery in order to try to advance therapeutics and vaccines uh, for specifically for COVID-19. So it's been very exciting in, in my laboratory. Wow, it sounds like it has been very exciting, and, and what an opportunity for the people working in that lab to be involved in such cutting-edge science that's making a difference to the world so quickly. 
Absolutely, yes. And each, each person has their uh, own where they've input their expertise and their passion into solving different problems. And it's, it's just a, it's been an incredible experience for, for these young researchers. That does sound like an incredible experience. Um, I, I'd like to know more, uh, first of all, about you as a scientist, and then we'll talk a little bit more about you as a science communicator, because that's something else that's very important, what you're doing right now. Uh, do you recall, was there a, a particular time or a particular person, maybe a teacher or professor, uh, that really sparked your interest in being a scientist? It, it, yes, um, as I say, there's a teacher in everybody's past, mm. and fortunately, I ran. I took a course from a professor here in the College of Pharmacy, uh, Jim McGinnity, and uh, he he taught pharmaceutical technology, drug delivery, but he not only taught it, he showed me and the students how to apply it to. Uh, problems that actually people care about. And, and so that was my aha moment that I figured out what I wanted to, to do in my career. And, and that, that's what I did. So it, it, it definitely, I, I thank him every time I see him, which is often, I thank him for that aha moment. Oh, <laughs> uh, problems that people care about. Yes. Uh, that, that, I think that's an important anchor to have there that it's it's not um, I mean so much of the time I guess when you're doing pure science it it's hard to know what problem will eventually be solved by the data and observations that you gather yeah you know so I took the philosophy I mean going on 30 years now here that I was gonna solve problems again that people cared about and so the issue is trying to find out what those problems are. And so I teamed up with several physician colleagues at, at our medical schools, uh, one our medical school at, at UT uh, Health San Antonio, mm -hmm. a, a second medical school at UT Health Tyler. Both these uh, scientists, physicians, they see patients and they would identify problems during brainstorming sessions. And that really led to the first patents. My group has, has over 45, 50 patents and patent applications. We've been very productive wow. in, in applying the technology to solve these medical problems. And, and, and so that's, that's what I teach you know, the students is always look to solve a problem. Don't just generate data. Always look to solve a problem. Don't just generate data. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm going to remember that. We may, we may come back to that when we talk about how we communicate about science. Um, uh, but there's, there's something else I want to know about your um, sort of your professional journey. You were trained as a researcher. And now um, I suspect you probably don't spend as much of your time directly making observations and gathering data. You've got a big lab that you're overseeing. That that's true. Yes, and, and that's a different kind of thing from from being at the bench or the microscope uh, yourself. I, and I'm, I've always been curious about that journey that scientists make as they progress in their career, to, from uh, being an investigator to being a manager of investigators. What 
obstacles did that present for you, and how did you find yourself overcoming those obstacles? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, and and I was trained trained as a researcher. I worked on the bench for for years, and you know it's it's kind of a gradual. The the barrier is in it's mentally psychologically with myself. It's just something I I didn't want to give up. I felt like it would uh, lessen my impact if I didn't actually wasn't doing at least some of the the experiments. But all of a sudden, I look back and, you know, uh, 30 years has passed, and I have really highly skilled, highly trained young scientists that are my eyes and ears on the, on the bench. And I can focus on the literature, on making sure our funding is there so that we can do what, where we, you know, we have money to do what the research that can have an impact and move move our lab and our university uh, ahead and our and help our economy, um, but it, it's something that I, I I was fighting in the early years and somehow it just I overcame and I it wasn't any kind of specific moment. It's just after a few years, you're all of a sudden I'm reading lots of papers, talking mm-hmm. with lots of of colleagues about problems and and trying to then facilitate that research with with the scientists in my laboratory. Mm-hmm. And as you say, there's a letting go that has to happen. Yeah, and that's the hard part is, is really letting go. But, and I, I, I talk to colleagues about it, you know, and every, all the re- traditionally trained researchers, I think everybody, um, that occurs to everyone I've talked to. Um, and... Um, unfortunately, I was able to let go and get to a to my place now because I don't think if I was still on the bench, I wouldn't be nearly as as effective as I am with more of the the big picture um, looking again trying to identify problems um, mm-hmm. that can you know uh, help. So there were obviously things you had to to learn. There were new skills you had to add going along. Um, skills in, uh, as you say, getting the the funding, and doing the the budgeting and 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 finding the funding to support the work and managing the work of others. Um, so as you look back, is there um, a particular I don't know training or mentoring that you can think of that you wish you might have had sooner? Yeah, sooner would have been the soft skills. So, and I'll I'll give you an example. Early on in my career, um, uh, most of us are members of the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists, premier organization in the world. You know, it's eight to 10,000 scientists that do what I do. And so we go every year and we present our research. So each uh, scientists in my laboratory will generally have a poster or a podium session. And I remember early on, it was our poster next to another poster from Europe. And, and I'm not going to tell you which poster had what, but one of the posters was basically a data dump. Mm-hmm. And it said nothing about, you know, why should I be interested or care in, in what that, that poster was trying to convey. The other poster actually told a story and used a fraction of the data to tell the story. And 
I came home that year and I said, okay, from now on, our posters are going to look like the one from Europe. So, you know, <laughs> you know that uh, kind of we gave were, it away. <laughs> we, we did the data dump. And after that, then, you know, we started developing a lot of soft skills and um, trying to, and, and we would go to colleagues and in our business school, get them to come over, give lessons in, uh, in seminars and public speaking, how to put together an effective poster presentation to convey quickly results. And that all then fed into better grant writing because mm. we were able to, I think, more effectively communicate what the proposal is and why the granting company or agency should care about what we're doing. So mm -hmm. why people should care. Yeah. Yeah. The soft skills, the communication, the telling the story, as you say, which is uh, you know, a major theme of this program and of the work that I do. It's all about telling the story uh, of your work. Um, and I find sometimes that scientists are distrustful of story, and I get pushback on that because story sounds too much like anecdote, and we all know that the plural of anecdote is not evidence. And yet, I, I like to point out to people that, you know, as, a, as an investigator, you're trained to find the story in your data. Right. So the, the challenge then is how do you share that story and not just the data? <laughs> I, I loved that, that story of going to that, uh, that conference, at, at which I have spoken, by the way, the AAPS conference, um, and seeing the contrasting poster sessions, one that told the story. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased to hear that there are people working at telling that story and, and that your lab uh, uh, shifted gears and, and worked to go in that direction as well. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, David, it's, it's interesting. You, you raise a, a very interesting point. And there is a difference in telling a story scientifically versus a sales pitch for what you're doing. And and it is a fine line, and 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 I, and I and I, every paper that we publish, it's a you know you you're really cognizant as you write it with the student, to that it's a technical scientific based story and not not selling like a sales pitch because that that is I have a hard time with that as well. Yeah, very interesting comment. Well, I appreciated your comment as well. I found that to be to be interesting. Um, I tell you what, we're going to take a short break in just a moment. And when we come back, uh, I'd like to shift the focus to what you do now as a science communicator, editing a, a journal and obviously uh, helping people in your field to, as we say, tell the story of your work. So uh, we can look forward to that after we come back from this short break. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience. But you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story. One fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. 
So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. Welcome back. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie, and my guest on today's episode is Bill Williams of the University of Texas Pharmacy School in Austin. And um, he is quite involved, as you heard him say, in the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists. In fact, um, Bill, you're, you help edit that association's journal, as I understand. Is that correct? Yes, the the AAPS Association has four sponsored journals, and I am the editor-in-chief of one of those uh, journals. I see. One of the journals. Okay. And, and what is that? That journal is AAPS Farmside Tech. So it's a, it's a journal that focuses on pharmaceutical technology and drug delivery. Um, so in it publishes papers and the type of research that, that my laboratory my laboratory does. I see. Okay. Um, so in the course of doing that, well, first of all, how did you how did you get into doing that? And that at some point you weren't, and now you are. So what's the story there? Yeah. So I was I was an editor in chief of another journal, uh, 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 Drug Development and Industrial Pharmacy, which is a Taylor and Francis journal. I was editor-in-chief of that for about 14 years, and I happened to work with one of the uh, publisher's uh, vice presidents. That publisher went to Springer Nature, uh, which is the partner for AAPS, and she called me to see if they had a need for an editor-in-chief of this particular journal. And, and, and I had always connected really well with this particular uh, vice president. Uh, and so I ended up going over to, to this journal. It's been a really uh, awesome adventure and I learned something every day. So it's really a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I often uh, talk about and, and, and have written about in some of my articles and blog posts is the difference between a, giving a presentation and writing an article for a journal. You know, yeah. when, you, when you present an article to a journal, it's, it's got to be structured in a particular way. Um, and, and that is generally focused on a, is a, you know, a brief statement of the problem and then more detail on the, the procedure that was followed to solve this problem and, of course, the data and, and the conclusions from that. And I, I point out sometimes how different that is from starting the story with, you know, here's the, here's the mystery we were presented with. Um, here, here are the struggles we went through before we found the thing that works. Because you don't get that, generally speaking, in a scientific article, do you? You, you know, from really skilled scientists, you, you get the mystery. Okay. And you you do and and there's certain uh, scientists that I follow that I that my group tries to mimic. We try to to have that mystery, but I've noticed as editor in chief for min, many years serving in this role that that is a skill that is not taught at most graduate programs is how to how to intertwine the mystery. And which is your justification of 
why it why why should someone care about what I'm even writing about? Yes, right? why should someone care? Yeah, right. So they just don't teach it, and 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 I you know I see this every day. You know, we get thousand papers submitted a year, and and so I read a lot of papers, and and I look at the the differences in the, in how the the data is presented, and in one case. It, it draws me in and I want to know more because I, I really like the problem that that I that they're talking about. In another case, it's it's dry, very dry data that I, I I just can't tell. OK, so what? So that's that's what's been still very interesting to, to me. So let's extrapolate that then. Of course, there's always a risk in extrapolation, as we know, um, to giving presentations, because Aren't so many scientific presentations really just a rehash of the paper? Yeah, they are. They and if it's a dry paper, it's a very dry talk, and yeah. people are on their computers, their phones, and you know, no eye contact. Versus, you know, laying out the mystery as, as you coined, uh, which I like, um, laying out the problem and, and like why this matters to. Uh, to to us as scientists to society you know whatever the benefit yeah and it and and a, it's a much more interesting talk to listen to mm -hmm. when it's engaging like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you had that experience of being at the conference and seeing that poster that used far less data and and told much more of a story absolutely yeah. yes so in in your position where you have uh, an opportunity to to shape the work and ultimately the careers of so many young researchers working under you um, how, what um, what advice or guidance do you give them about um, what to do when they have the opportunity to get up in front of an audience and tell the story of their work Oh, I and if you ask my graduate students and postdocs that same question, they're going to give you this answer. I am all about telling the story and starting with the problem and and supporting that with evidence uh, from the literature that says that, you know, there's a problem, whether it's related to a covid vaccine, mRNA vaccine storage or or whatever it is. They start with that because that's the way to draw the, the audience in. Once you draw them in, then you teach them about how you solve that problem. And you've got the audience. They're hooked. They're going to they're gonna give you probably 30 minutes of their undivided attention. And, and, that, and you use that to your advantage. And, you know, oftentimes for students, it's, it's a potential employer. It's a collaborator that on a grant. It's it's people, you know, who could sh further shape their careers. And so it's it's relevant and it's very important for them to to be able to to do that successfully. State the problem, and tell the story of how you solved that part of the problem. Absolutely, yes. Hmm. Okay, that sounds like excellent advice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you think of uh, an example that you can just share with me off the top of your head? I know this was unprompted, uh, of when someone has done a really excellent job of sharing that story. Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll tell you two stories. One is I have a, a student who defended about three years ago, and he's working at one of the 
top five pharma companies in the world right now. And he's, he, his career is on top of the world. And I talked to him a few months ago and we were chatting. I said, so he, he says, Dr. Williams, I have to tell you this, guess what the, the most useful learning that I brought with me from the University of Texas in your lab. I got, of course, I'm thinking it's a technical skill, which I said, and he goes, no, you, you and the other faculty here, you taught soft skills. So I know how to put together effective slides. I know how to give effective talks to project teams and to an audience where I'm trying to convince, even though they're my work colleagues, I'm trying to convince them to that they should support either financially, you know, with a budget or mm -hmm. scientifically with testing. I use it every day. And that's what you need to keep doing that. That was his message. Oh, that's and then, terrific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the second story is um, I had a student, uh, this was many years ago, and this is kind of working the opposite way. And, and I use it as a comparison. And, and this young scientist got up and, and he had stage fright. And, and it was, and he really, it, it was an issue. And I, of course, that was foreign to me. Uh, and so I tried to develop his skills and confidence in his story. And so I learned then through this young man that it's not only telling the story, but it's having confidence in your ability that you've analyzed your data right. You really understand the problem mm -hmm. you've, you've read. You're not just up speaking on something that you don't have a depth on. And so that's two stories that um, I think that I, that I repeat often to, to current students. Two stories about having the confidence to tell the story of your work and, and using yes. those soft skills. Um, it, it sounds to me as if you've done um, quite the job of pulling together both the technical and the soft skills, as you say, because I think those are so important. You know, your work isn't going to change the world until you can tell the world about your work. That, that is, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And we've all experienced those data dumps, haven't we? And we've and given them. <laughs> I'll own that. Yes. yes. <laughs> I know I've No, done it's, that. it's it's very true. Yeah. Um and and the thing I often like to tell people is that um as a technical presenter, you're not there to serve up data. You're there to serve your audience. Right. And so you have to know something about meeting the needs of your audience for your uh, for your presentation to make a difference to them. And, and to be memorable. And yes. so much of that comes back to telling stories. So thank you for sharing those stories with, with me. And, you know, if, if this were a, uh, a story workshop, and I may use a clip from what you just said in a story workshop one of these days, I would point out that you used a very powerful technique just then because you were using quoted dialogue. You were telling me what that uh, former student of yours actually said to you um, yeah. about the, uh, the, the, the most powerful skill that he took away from his experience there at UT. So we were drawn in. So you're a, obviously an excellent storyteller. Thank you. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I, I almost feel like you've already answered this, 
But uh, as we move toward the end of our time together, I like to bring around uh, bring our discussion around to this question anyway. Thinking about the audience for this show, which is scientists and engineers who are working at giving more effective presentations, at building their confidence and and telling the story of their work. Um, what is the one thing that you, one piece of advice or guidance that you would give in, in just a minute or two uh, that might be different from what they've gotten so far in their career or in graduate school uh, that will help them give more effective presentations? Yeah, so I think the guidance would be understand the context of where you fit in you meaning your research and, and what you're contributing to the overall research mission of the group you're working in, understand the context because the context gives you guidance uh, on how you, uh, you're, you're, like how you approach the problem and solve the problem. And so I'm all about context and students understanding where they fit in and how important that they're, you know, if you think of them as a, a piece of the puzzle, which we all are pieces of a puzzle, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they understand their piece is critical or you can't finish the puzzle. Right. And so they understand that through context. And so what that does in my group is it fosters very friendly collaborations and the collaborations and the there's so the barriers come down to people talking and sharing ideas so and the the big deal about that is and i'm very proud of this fact if you look at publications from my group we have many students that cross boundaries that contribute to other students problems and that's a, it's a very big deal in my group to collaborate and be included as a co-author. Um, and they, they learn that skill for now when they ultimately go into industry or their own academic position. Um, so I preach context. Context and collaboration. And collaboration. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Context, collaboration. Maybe we should make three C's out of that. Context, collaboration, and communicating across boundaries perhaps oh, that's it <laughs> yes all right i've enjoyed our conversation so much uh before we wrap it up is there a way that you would like uh to recommend that my audience could follow up with you a way to contact you or see more about your work if they're interested in doing that oh absolutely um my email it's very easy easy to find it's on the University of Texas at Austin College of Pharmacy. Um, it's Bill Williams. And I would be happy to, to interact with, with anyone, answer any questions. I, I, I give a lot of time to authors that are contemplating publishing. So I, I greatly enjoy being able to, to give guidance, at least as much as it, it, it's free advice and, and from me. So, yeah. <laughs> and free advice is always worth every penny that you pay for it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And then we go to experts like yourself who really can 
can uh, can ground us, uh, <laughs> and it's much appreciated, I can tell you. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank you for that vote of confidence. And if anyone would like to follow up with me um, with comments on this program or suggestions for future guests, the easiest way to do that is to go to storyandscience.com. That's simply storyandscience.com. That's the homepage for this program, and you can find... Uh, a button that will say schedule consultation elsewhere on that website and that will put you in touch with me or actually my calendar if you'd like to have a conversation with me. I welcome those. Bill, it's been a real pleasure having you here. Thank, thank you, you for David. taking the time. Oh, thank you. It's uh, greatly appreciated. Hopefully uh, uh, folks will in, uh, learn something from, from at least my experiences. Thank you very much. I'm sure people have had, uh, I'm sure there's quite a bit that you've said that people can learn from. So to everyone else, thank you for being part of the Power of Story and Science community. This has been the Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.